I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. Tom, are you uh, wanting to introduce our guest today? Absolutely. This is Harl. Harl's from Oklahoma. And Harl's a real good friend of a uh, kind of a returning guest of ours, Chuck from Oklahoma who is a friend of Forrest, and Harl's had some encounters. So we're going to hand the mic off to him in just a moment. We want to hear everything that he's uh, run into. Before I do that, I just want to say thank you for everybody to uh, subscribe, uh, like and subscribe, and if you want to, you can support the show. we got a link in Patreon. And just a quick note for our Patreons, we do have a, uh, a newsletter update coming but because of our field work recently, it's a little bit late. So the August update's coming out in September. That said, <clears throat> I'm going to hand this off to Harl. And Harl, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing okay. Uh, it's been a long week. Uh, then they come down with, I thought it was the COVID, but took a COVID test and it come back negative. So I guess... It's uh, the flu that's finally come back. <laughs> but other than that, I'm doing okay today. How about you guys? We're doing real good. And I got to say, I, I mispronounced your name. It's Carl. So uh, my yeah. apologies. Yeah, Carl. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, um, I've only done one of these before, and it was for my, my good friend Chuck. So if you guys want to tell me how we want to to go about, um, well, wanting... yeah, let's let's go ahead and I'll I'll go down the list. Um, let's start off with um, you know what do you know about the subject of Bigfoot before this happened? Well, I was I was twelve, thirteen years old, uh, somewhere around in there when I had my very first encounter with one. Uh, it was actually uh, six or seven of them, um, and ever since then, I've been hooked. It so, was so you you saw six was, or seven it, of the creatures. Yes. Now, yeah. Were you by? Oh, yeah. Were you by yourself? Uh, no, I had a friend with me. Um, he's uh, he's no longer with us, but. Uh, and I won't mention his name, but um, we were, um, I'm going to incriminate myself as a child. We were out uh, hunting <laughs> on a full moon night. Oh, we um, want to hear the whole story. Come on, Carl. We've all, we've oh, all been there. On. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, You know, back then the oil field had taken a, a big old dump on on everybody, and to you know the money was short, times were hard, and uh, so um, hunting and, and gardening was pretty much you know 
how we kept food on the table and we would go out and uh, uh especially on a full moon night and would go you know when the deer's out moving and and you know turkey or you know they're not paying a whole lot of attention and we'd go out and get us a couple of deer and take them home and and uh you know put them in a the freezer and but um we had uh we moved we were going to try to find a new area that was a little further away from humanity and which you know where we were hunting at was pretty far but um i had uh found some trails that had some nice sized tracks on them and uh game trails and we decided that we were gonna uh try this new area out and we went out one full moon night and had cut us a little uh kind of a cove out of a out of a tree and we were sitting back up in the tree and we had our bows and uh, uh we're sitting there and we're waiting and and uh this man steps out of the wood line and he's a pretty big boy and my friend looks up at me and he says He's just, we busted. Should we run? Should we run? I was like, no, there's no way that we know. He, he knows we're here. There's no way, you know. And not only that, but heck, it's it's like 11 o'clock at night. Who would be out here, you know, unless he's just out for a walk or something that we didn't, you know, know about. But, you know, but the big one, he steps out of the wood line and he stops and he kind of steps back into the wood line and then comes back out. And then when he did, another one came out, another one came out, and then it seemed like there's two, maybe three juveniles. Two of them were really small, maybe two, three foot tall, maybe tops. I mean, real small juveniles. And then right behind them were uh, three more. So it was the the alpha what i know now to be the alpha female and i'm pretty sure it was another female but then the juveniles and then uh three more came out right behind them well we're talking maybe 10 yards from where we were sitting to the wood line and they walk the the big one walks right up in front of us and he turns around and he looks right up the hill because we're kind of higher than what the uh, the trail was. And he looks right up at us and he stops and he's he they all all of them stop and he's looking right up at us and he starts walking up toward us and I'm like okay and I reach down and put my hand on my pistol I had a um uh just a little 22 revolver and I got my hand on my pistol and it just, I, I never, I never pulled it. I, I, I never, I never pulled it out of its holster, but he walks right up to me, bends down and he's so close 
that I can make out his facial features. I can see everything. I mean, it just, he just, he's huge. He's big. And he's there for, I don't know, it kind of felt like a pretty long time, but it was probably just a few seconds. And he kind of, he snorts, kind of makes a snorting sound, like a, you know, um, like something clear in its nose. And he stands back up. And at that point, I realized my friend had uh, defecated himself. And he's shaking like a leaf in a tree. I mean, you can feel the, I mean, he's just he's shaking. I'm just froze. I'm, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay, what am I looking at? And he never turns his back to us. He backs himself back down towards the rest of the group. He turns his head, makes some noises, and then the rest of them back back into the woods, back off into the woods. And he turns around, and he's watching us the whole time, and then he backs off into the woods and disappears. Well, that was that was the extent of my very first encounter. I mean, it lasted, I don't know, seemed like forever, but, I mean, it was probably maybe a minute or two. Let me ask two you. Two or three minutes. I mean, it was just, it was really quick. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Uh, I was just curious. Uh, first of all, what, what part of the country were you talking about? You don't have to give specifics, but just a, a state. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, central Oklahoma. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and, I mean, cause it's, it's public where we were at, where we was at is not public land. It was private owned land. Um, but there's public land right next to it. And, you know, I encourage people to get out into the woods. I, I think, you know, if people got out and would open up their eyes and open up their hearts and actually see what they're um see with their eyes and not not what they think they're supposed to see because these things don't look like um the the beef jerky bigfoot i mean not a single one of them you got a pretty good i've never seen one yeah you got a pretty good look can you describe the facial facial features for us human and gorilla like a lot of human, a lot of gorilla, kind of a snout, just huge. His head was, I mean, it was bigger than a basketball. I mean, it was bigger than, I mean, it was just huge. And his his, his head just kind of, and his head and his shoulders just blended in together. There wasn't no, there wasn't no head and there wasn't no neck. No, you know, like us, you know, we have our head, we have a neck and we have shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, when they're pronounced, they're, you know, they're easy to see. They're easy to, you know, you, 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 hey, that guy's got big shoulders, you know, but them, it's, it's like their head and their shoulders and everything just kind of blend in together. Kind of like the way gorillas does. It sort of sits right on the shoulders, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, how about, now you mentioned snout. Did it have, did it have a gorilla like uh, its nose and face that way or did it, was it more flat kind and human-like? Of, kind of these ones down here they have kind of a they kind of have a I don't want to say like a gorilla snout but it's it's the the nose and the uh 
the jawline, you know, the front jawline is kind of a little more pronounced. Yeah, right. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They they, um, they have a little more, uh, a little more of a, I guess you could say a snout, but it's it's a little more pronounced. It's robust. It's right. It's uh, not. It's not a flat face it, like humans. No, 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 nothing. Not I've never seen one here that's um, like the Patty right. Bigfoot. I've never seen one like the Patty Bigfoot. These guys here down here. These boogers have more of a, um, they have more of a snout, um, more of a pronounced uh, uh, front, you know, facial. Maybe a little uh, more like a chimp has. Yeah, yeah, like a gorilla, but not like a gorilla, right. not as much as a gorilla. You know, right. A gorilla's got, you know, kind of a big snout, mm-hmm. but it's, theirs is, you know, if you was to take that and cut it in half, then that's what you're looking at. Okay. I was you know, I, take half of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Th- there definitely is a different variety there. So, um, I was curious too about the noises. Can, can you describe the noises they were making? It was so many years ago that, I mean, I've forgotten. It was not, I don't remember it being like chatter. It was more like a, like grunts and and just noises. Right. I can't even. I can't even try to even. Uh, well, I, I'm with you there. Going, I've heard noises it, like that myself, yeah. and and I don't know how to describe them. There's nothing they sound like. No, no, it, and it's like it comes from. It comes from deep. Not like our, you know, our voices where it comes from our, our vocal, our vocal, you know, our vocal cords mm-hmm. where it's right there. There seems like it, um, it comes deep. Now, unless they're imitating something, if they're imitating something, that sure seems like it comes from, uh, you know, like a vocal, you know, like a voice box, like what we have. Because sure. I mean, I've heard them, um, they, you know, sound like a drunk turkey or a drunk owl mm-hmm. or you know, like there's been an owl out there drinking alcohol and he's trying. Like a call, but he, he, you know, he can't talk right. Right. He can't. He can't call right. You know what I'm saying? We we've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Drink a little alcohol, you don't talk right. You know. Well, let's hope they're not doing that. Yeah. But um, so now, how long how long ago was this first incident? No, uh, first incident. I'm 40. I turned 49 this month, and I was. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm pretty sure I was 13, maybe 14 years old. Okay. Yeah, we we don't have to be too it's specific. Been five years ago. Right. So. Um. So now, what do you think about that after that happened? I mean, well, I should say what happened. I mean, did they leave or did you leave or? Um. We actually lived. We lived right along uh, Canton Lake. Uh, we were exactly two and a half miles from the dam so we were right out there you know not very far from where these things were living and hunting and fishing and and uh you know come to find out after i tried I tried talking to dad. I tried talking to mom. Um, dad made a joke of it. Um, like, 
I don't know. To, I, I remember, I remember when I tried talking to Dad about it. He, it was almost like a, a slough off joke. Like he, he knew that something was out there that he had seen stuff before, but he wasn't going to admit it. He didn't accept it. And it was kind of like, yeah, it was like something that that son you should just let this go let me ask you you, you know you don't want it now when the creatures came out of the tree line uh what happened after that did they approach you did you leave what what happened after they backed into the tree line no when they when they came out uh, when they came out oh when, what happened when after they came that out, we stayed put uh we what happened when they when they came out of that tree line when when the alpha what i know now to be an alpha he come out of that tree line. He stopped, and it was like he was looking because he come out of the tree line, and it kind of opened up for about twenty five yards. And the game, the game trail left, uh, come out of the woods into the field, and then kind of stayed along that tree line. And there was a cliff on the back side of there. I, I wouldn't say a cliff; it was a pretty good sized drop off, maybe twenty thirty feet drop off. But, and then the game trail went on uh, right next to that uh, that wood line and then dropped back into the, the woods on the other side of that clearing. There was one tree sitting in the middle of that clearing that the farmer had come around and plowed and planted. And we were sitting in that tree, which was about 10 yards from that tree line. So when he came out, I seen him when he comes out and then he turns it's like he backs back into the tree line it's like he's checking it to see if there's anything out there in that opening but he kind of went back into the tree line for a second and then they all the rest of them came out and that's when they saw you guys i don't know that he saw me okay. i think he smelled me okay i think he smelled me. yeah you mentioned i don't he was, know that he's you mentioned he was smelling the air right yeah, it's like he was, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, because I made sure that the wind was was blowing to our face where we cut into the, you know, where we cut into the tree where, the, where we went out and sat in that tree. I made sure that the wind was coming into our face so that, the, you know, I wouldn't carry our smell to the, um, to the, uh, the game trail. So I don't know that he smelled us. Maybe he just felt us. Maybe it's a standard practice I, they I, do, you know, because we've heard it other times where they'll sniff the air, whether they know a person's there or not. Maybe it's something they do just to, you know, kind of make sure the coast is clear, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, it's really weird. Um, ever since then, I've spent a lot of time in the woods, and... I swear, it's like they know you're there before you know you're there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, it, it's it's um, whether they hear you, smell you, um, I, it's like they they can they can feel your presence. Um, it's like they can. 
Hey, you you got dogs? I, I used to. Ours ours passed away. Yours passed away. Um, you ever have anybody come into your house or come up to your yard and your dog just go total nuts on that person? Oh, I had it go off on one of these creatures the first time I walked into them. Okay. Um, but it's at the same time, you've had people come up to your house and your dog just start loving on that person. Oh, sure, sure. I think that, that boogers are the same. It's like they know whether or not we're there to do, whether we're there for bad or there for good, mm-hmm. or if, you know, we're just, you know, we're just there. It's like they know. So these creatures, you, you know what I'm saying? Did they, did they ever, um, notice the two of you there? After he walked up or after he, he turned around, he stopped and he was looking forward. He was, he was, he was watching forward, but it was like he, he got right in front of us and he done an about face. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's like 12 o'clock from where we're sitting and he does an about face and he's looking up and he starts walking up towards us. He gets right up there to me. I'm sitting higher. Billy's down on the ground. I'm, I got me some branches cut up and I'm sitting on the branches and just like, you're kind of like sitting on a bar stool and he bends down and he's within arm's reach. I could have reached up there and tickled him on the, on the chin. I I swear to you, he he was that close. He just, I could have reached up there and just rubbed his chin if I wanted to. And I'm just sitting there, I'm just froze. Um, I got one hand on my pistol and one hand on my bow, and I'm, I'm just, I'm froze. I'm, I'm not moving. It's just one of those moments where you, I, I don't know, I, I think back on it, and it's like one of the moments where I just, all common sense kicks in and says, don't move. <laughs> don't shake, don't sneeze, don't cough, don't do nothing, just stay. You're not in a very good place at the moment. And honestly, I think what happened was when my friend defecated himself, the booger found it rather, I don't know, smelly. And he cleared his nose and he stood back up and he shook his head and he cleared his nose again. And then he started backing back down to where the others were. And he turns his head, he makes some noises, and then the rest of them, he stays put. He doesn't move. And the rest of them back off into the, the wood line right behind the trail where I'd, where the drop-off was. They didn't go back. They didn't move forward. They just backed off into the woods. And then whenever they were gone, whenever they backed off to the woods, then he backed off into the woods. It was like he came into our space. He come up, I mean, right in front of me, and then he backed back off, and then they backed off into the woods, and then he backed off into the woods, and then that was it. 
Well, it sounds like they they did figure out that you guys were there. Mm-hmm. Oh, he knew I was there. He was. I was on arm's reach of him on a full moon night. Yeah, I'm sure you saw. You. I could see him. I know. I, yeah. I, I mean, he was in arm's reach. I mean, he seen me. I seen him. Or you know, I seen him. Um. I don't know that he seen my friend because my friend was sitting below me, mm-hmm. but. I know my friend saying him because he was he was scared literally poopless. I don't want to cuss, but you right, know he was right. yeah. So you've had you've um, had other encounters, is that correct? Um, I've had <laughs> I've had so many encounters. I, I stopped counting years ago. We'll, we'll t- um, take it through some after of that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um. Well, I'll just kind of tell you more of the story uh, for that summer. Yeah, by all means. That summer, that summer, summer had just started, and school had just let out, and and you know, it was just run around the woods and hunt, and uh, walk to the lake and go fishing, and and that year it changed because I went I went hunting for these things. And, uh, like I said, I tried talking to dad and dad wouldn't talk to me about it. He kind of made a joke about it and then tried to slough it off and blow it off. And just pretty much how he dropped this subject and we don't need to talk about it. And, uh, but I just, I just had this, this undying need to see what I seen again. And I went looking for them. I I spent the rest of the summer looking for them. And it took me a couple months. But the next encounter I had with them was uh, it was probably about a month and a half, maybe two months later. And I'm sitting on a tree. I'm over by the lake. Um, I'm over on the Longdale side of the Canton Lake. And I'm sitting on a tree and I'm eating some crackers and some sausage and some cheese and, and it's, it's really cloudy that day. I I remember it was really, really cloudy that day. It was, it had been raining. It had been sprinkling and I had put my crackers and my sausage and my cheese down on the, on another little stump. And I'm just sitting there and I'm eating and I'm drinking and I, I kind of look up and I see this little, little head kind of poking its, you know, leaning out from the side of the tree. And it, it caught my eye because I li- I lifted up about the time he put his head back behind the tree. <laughs> and I, I thought, what was that? So I, I looked back down and I grabbed me another sausage, except for this time I looked, I was, I put my head down, but I, I put my eyeballs up and I was watching that tree. I didn't take my eyes off that tree and I got me another cracker. And as soon as I leaned down, he like slowly puts his head back out again and he's watching me and he looks down at what I'm grabbing a hold of. And then as I lean back up, he leans back in behind the tree. <laughs> so we sit here and we do this 
I don't know, a few more times, five or six more times. And I'm just sitting here watching him. Every time I'd lean up, he'd go back behind the tree. Every time I'd lean back down, he'd slowly poke his head out and watch me put my my meat on my crackers and my cheese and I'd take a bite and I'd lean up and I'd, I'd eat it. And I got done and I started to walk that direction. And when I did, I heard something behind me. I turned around and I look and I don't see nothing. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking and I turn around and as I turn around, I start walking and I start again walking back to that tree. Well, by the time I got to that tree, there wasn't anything there. Okay. So I start just meandering aimlessly because I could hear him. I could hear him walking through the woods. I could hear him making little noises and sounding like, uh, and, and this is where I discovered that they, this was the time that I discovered that they Im- like to imitate other animals, owls, deer, or not deer, but turkey, uh, you know, just, and, and making noises trying to get your attention. And this is where I kind of got one of my, uh, uh, one of my techniques of luring and luring them into me is once I know they're there and I start getting these little signs and sounds, I'll stop and just take a knee and put my head down and just close my eyes and listen. Sit there for a few minutes. Just just sit there on just sit there for a few minutes. Stand up and start looking around. Then you start to see. But it's uh, that's where I, I I started learning how that they're always there. It it, it always seems like if they're in the area and you're in the woods. They're there. You once you figure out they're there, if you hear them, you may not see them, but you're surrounded. There's never just one. Never, never, ever just one. There's never just two. There's always more. If you see one, it's because he wanted you to see him. He wanted you to get his he wanted to get your attention away from whatever was going on, whether it be for the juveniles or it be for the female, maybe. He's, he's trying to get you away from uh, you're too close. The juveniles are getting too close to you or you're getting too close to the juveniles and he wants to get you away from that. But you're always, you see one, there's never just one. Never. Not here. It's, 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 it's it, there, there, there never is. But um, well, I'll tell you. Please ask me some questions. <laughs> I don't want to feel like I'm going on. Oh no, you're fine. Um, go ahead and take us into your next encounter. 
I'll tell you what, I'll talk, uh, how about my, uh, no, 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 no. I'll tell you about, uh, <laughs> this one was fun. Um, here a couple of years ago, uh, I, I've heard Chuck talk about the oil field. The oil field, it's, it's been, you know, when I was a kid, the oil field wasn't real big. It wasn't like it is now. It, um, the oil field is intruding more and more into their, um, you know, where they live. Um, they're, they're able to, it, it, it on, and it gives them something to watch. It gives them something to, uh, to see. Um, but, uh, you spend a lot of the, where I, I would spend a lot of time along <clears throat> around uh, along the Canadian river. Sorry, my throat. <clears> throat> out in Northwest Oklahoma. And, um, you see them all the time at night. I worked nights for like six years straight and knowing what to look for, knowing what you're seeing. Um, if you pay attention, you see them all the time. Um, one thing they're really, really good at is making like a tree. They'll make like a tree and just stand there. You can drive; they'll be right there in your right there in your headlights. And they what they'll do is they'll put their head down and they'll close their eyes. If you know what you're looking at, you can possibly see them. You might only get like maybe a split second of blue or maybe red eye shine. But what they'll do is they'll put their head down and they'll close their eyeballs. Well, if you're not paying attention, your headlights are just going to go right across them and they're, you know, you're just going to keep on going. But if you're paying attention and you see, you'll see them all the time. I've, I've counted, uh, I counted what twenty seven coming out of uh I'll just I'll just say the name, the Berryman four and the Berryman nine uh leases out in northwest Oklahoma. It is twelve miles of out in the middle of BFE nowhere, um lease road coming out of there. They're right along the North Canadian River. Um they got deer, they got turkey, they got hog. There's so many hog out there it's not even funny. Um, but one night I was heading down to a lease down on the, up on the, uh, South side of the Canadian. And I had a lot of work at night and I was, I was driving like a maniac. I drive a water truck and, uh, transport. And there's an old farmhouse that sits on this corner where I have to make this, this, uh, I have to come down, make the corner. And then the lease is about oh the 16th maybe a quarter of a mile up up on the hill and there's a man-made pond sitting on the opposite corner of where that farmhouse is sitting and i had never seen one there before and then you know wasn't really paying attention you're usually when you see them you're down closer on the river but anyway i'm i'm a barreling down on my corner and I'm shifting down and I come around the corner and I got my bright lights on 
And as soon as I come around the corner, there's a big one. He's probably nine, 10 foot tall, but he's got one leg over one side of the fence and one leg over the other side of the fence. And right there where the county road is, there's maybe just enough room for his foot on one side of the fence before it hits the county road, before he's on the county road. And I'm coming around that corner. And as I come around, my mirror almost hits him in the head. <laughs> I'm watching him as I come around and he puts his big old leg over on the other side of the fence and then comes down and he starts running alongside the fence. And he passes me for a second and he's right in front of the truck on the other side of the fence and he's, he's on a full bore run. And I start gear, I start grabbing gears trying to keep up with him because I know he can't, that man-made pond has a real steep embankment and it had been raining. So everything was really, really slick, but he had to stay alongside that fence and I'm barreling down. I'm trying to grab gears. Well, I look down my speedometer. I'm running 45 mile an hour and he's staying just at the front of my truck on the other side of the fence. And we finally get to the other side of where that embankment is for that pond. He hangs the left bank and goes and just takes off and he disappears out of sight. Well, I'm going fast enough that I'm already to that lease that I'm supposed to pick up and I pass it. <laughs> I slam on the brakes and then I put it in reverse and I turn my work lights on and I back up back down the road and I make my corner into my lease, pull into my lease, back up to the containment and I get out and I go gauge my tank, come back down, hook up my hose, open up my valves, start loading the truck, go get in the truck. I'm sitting there filling out my paperwork and I hear this ting. <laughs> I look in my mirror. I don't see nothing. I hear this ting. And then I hear this wham <laughs> and it's a rock and it hit the side of my cab. The other two of them hit my tanker. They, they, they're aluminum tankers and he was throwing rocks at me. And he, every time he, he'd throw a rock, he hit that tanker. Well, finally, I, either his aim got a little bit better or he just got luckier or whatever, but he finally hit the cab of the truck just right behind the uh, driver's side window. So I grab my headlight. I always carry these, uh, uh, I love these uh, little headlamps. They're 5,000 lumen. Um, they'll, they rechargeable 27 bucks. They're, they're freaking awesome. But I always carry like two or three of them things with me all the time. And, uh, you can, it, it, they'll light up that light up to about 50, 60, 75 yards. But I grab my headlight, put it on my head, and I get out of the truck. <laughs> and I'm standing right beside the truck, and I hear a ting. <laughs> he throws another rock at me, but I can't see him. He's far enough off the side of the location that I can't see him. So I start screaming at him. <laughs> Stop throwing rocks at my truck. <laughs> and and uh, he keeps throwing. Well, the next one lands pretty close to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm not in the mood for this. So I pick up a rock and I throw it and I can't even get it close to where he's, I mean, I can't even, I'm, 
I got a pretty good arm, but I couldn't even get that rock within 20 feet of where he was off the side of location. So I start walking towards him and he's still throwing rocks at me and he screams at me and oh my God, that hurt. That went straight through my freaking head when he screamed at me, but he kept, he kept throwing rocks and yeah, I don't want my window busted out of my truck. How am I going to explain that to my boss? You know, (laughs) and, uh, so I start, you know, I'm just walking to him and I turn that light, that headlight on high. And then I finally get close enough to him that I'm, I got it shined on, onto him. And he picks up a rock and he chunks it. And that time I had to move cause it almost hit me. And I picked up a rock, a little bit smaller one. And I chunked it back at him and I'm screaming at him, you know, quit throwing effing rocks at my truck. <laughs> and <laughs> finally he, uh, he opened up his mouth and just snarled at me. I mean, real big snarl and then all hit all fours and took off. But that was the last time I seen him. He took off on all fours. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, he, he hit the ground when he was running the first time. Was he that on hit, two legs when you clocked him with your truck? Yeah. Yeah. When I clocked him, yeah. When I clocked him on a truck, he was standing and he was on, he was on two legs and I clocked him at 45 and I looked down and I thought, I looked down for a second and it looked like I was hitting 47, 48 mile an hour mm-hmm. uh, before, uh, just right before he cut off and, and went north. He went north right there at that pond. And I thought, damn, I've seen him run before. I've seen him run up the, uh, uh, out there at Shine Valley. I've watched him run up the side of those uh and then those cliffs out there and they're, they're pretty steep they're about 200 feet 200 feet or so uh up up the side of one of them cotton picking things and i watched them run straight up straight up the top straight up the side and they never even slow down wow hunters it was it was hunters i was i was out there the the ones at Canton, the ones at Canton, they spend their summer at, at Canton, and they don't leave the they don't leave the lake that much. During winter time, they make their way out to Shine Valley, which, as the crow flies, is maybe fifteen miles, twenty miles. But there's caves out there. They'll spend most of their winter out there in them caves, and they'll make their way over to the lake. They'll hunt. They'll fish. But they they will spend most of their their winter winter months in them caves out there at Shine Valley. But um, which I mean, like I said, it's it's only like fifteen twenty miles from Canton. But yeah, I've uh, twenty two twenty one years in the oil field. I've I've had quite a few encounters quite a few what's what's the most memorable encounter you've had hmm let me think about it. <laughs> you ever been very scared no no uh the only time the only time and i've had um I've had uh, fish heads, you know, half-eaten catfish thrown at me. 
Um, I've had sticks, branches, trees, you know, little three, four foot. Rip them out, they'll rip them out of the ground and just grab all of them, rip them out of the ground and throw them at you. When you had the rocks thrown um, at you, how, rips them how all. big were the rocks that were thrown at you? I've had volleyball size rocks thrown at me. How big? That night, volleyball size? Volleyball size. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I've had volleyball size rocks that, thrown that at me. That would get your attention. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. It does. I've had every, everything from uh, volleyball size to baseball size to just whatever they can grab a hold of. I mean, it. Um, you figure on most of them leases out there, they'll have uh, uh, two inch and three inch surge. Um, that white chip rock um, on them locations. And uh, they'll, they'll use it for a base, and before they can bring in the uh, the inch and a half, so that the inch and a half will stay on the surface. But that two and three inch surge will, I mean, on the outside of the locations, it, it'll still be, you know, you you can walk over and, and grab a hold of it, you know, and there, it's it's just everywhere. But once you get on the location, there'll be the, you know, that inch and a half or even shale or, but, uh, they'll use that, that two and three inch surge to, uh, to give it a good base before they bring anything on top of it. But, yeah, and I've had them throw that stuff at me quite a bit. And a lot of it is, I think you can, sometimes you can irritate them. And sometimes I'll, you know, like when I'm on locations or something, if they, if they, if they mess with me, if they mess with me, I'll mess with them back. I'll, I'll hit them with a spotlight. I keep a, I, I used to keep a, um, a really powerful rechargeable spotlight with me and they hate high UV. They, they do not like high UV lights. They will stay away from them. They will, you hit them in the face with a high UV spotlight and they'll back off from you they'll leave you alone they don't like them but i'll keep them high uv light that high uv light and if they get to messing with me or something or throwing stuff at me or uh just not you know just not leaving me alone um which i had one do um but he wasn't a booger I don't know if I want to get into that story or not. That happened about three years ago. That was the first D, uh, dog man type that I ran into out there along the river. That one did scare me. That was the only time that I ever, that I had ever, that I'd ever been scared. was, was that one. Cause, uh, I almost ran him over. I was, uh, we, uh, I told you about the Berryman four and the Berryman nine. We were actually doing a flow back on that lease. And there's a shortcut back there and which most of the trucks don't drive down. So it's usually pretty smooth. And we were making about 2,400 barrels, 2,600 barrels in a day. And we can only haul 150 barrels at a time. So, you know, we were, we were driving pretty, we, we were, we were driving pretty fast down through there and I was still on nights and I come down through there and there's a lot of curves and ups and downs and 
you're, you're going through the hills and there's these trees out there that they only grow about 10 feet tall and there's there are batches of them and they use them to hide in and i'm going down through there and i come around this one curve and he's standing in the middle of the road and i swerve i miss him because i, I don't want to run over a booger um I'm, you know and I, that's what i thought he was i thought he was a booger and i as i'm going right by him i'm looking at his face and i thought damn you got a hell of a snout <laughs> You know, there, there is another variety that has a, a baboon-like snout. This one, this one's got claws, though, and that's the thing that's confused me. They act like boogers. They, 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 they act like boogers. They act like, um, but they don't look. Their their body type. If you want, I'll send you because I had. Uh, I had a guy do a drawing for me and I'm pretty sure I still, I, I'm pretty sure I still have that drawing. Um, okay, he sure spent, he, I mean, I can send it to you sometime and let you see it. Yeah. But I had him that. do a drawing, a, a forensic drawing for me. Um, because I, when I, his body type was that of a booger, but his snout I'd called right after that happened. I called Chuck. I was like, dude, almost ran over a booger. And Chuck's like, really? And he, he said, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I got, because Chuck had given me some uh, casting material uh, not long before that. Uh, it was, we was coming on rainy season, was, you know, trying to get some, you know, uh, cast some tracks and stuff. And it had just, rained a few hours back so the ground was nice it was fresh and where he was standing on the road was caliche which is hard but as i come around and i almost hit him he steps off the road into the sand so i'm thinking there should be you know a nice track there but i called chuck and i said i almost ran this guy over and uh and he said well go back get a, get a track you got and you got that you know and i was like yeah 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 i got it so I get back over there and I get out of the truck and I start walking around. I start looking for tracks and these tracks got claws on them. And I stand up and I was like, boogers don't have claws. They don't have, they don't have nails. Not like this. Do you have, do you have pictures of those tracks? No, I didn't stick around long enough to get them. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but were that they, was one they time were, that I was actually. Were they more? Were they mostly like a Bigfoot track with the five toes and? and they were that? yes, yes, yes. They had okay. the five toes. They had five toes and five nails. On the, there was five five nails on that track. Okay. Five, there, there's you know, there's a number yeah. of, number of variations of these creatures. So. Um, I, I suspect that's what you actually saw as one of the different variants. Well, there's a whole family of them out there along the North Canadian River. Oh, very interesting. Um, um, I've counted 27. But this guy, um, this guy actually, out of all the times that I've been 
I've been out. This is the first time that I ever got scared. What made you afraid? Um, well, hold on. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what made me afraid. I get on the location, which is maybe three miles down the road, four miles down the road from where I almost ran him over. And I'm out there by myself. Um, there's nobody else out there. But I'm out there by myself, and a lot of times you'd have to sit there and you'd have to wait. You know, once the well slows down a little bit, um, they'll keep a truck on it, and you just you haul it off as soon as you got a load. Well, sometimes you have to sit wait, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Um, but you just, you know, you're out there by yourself. I'd go up the tank, and... At this time, they still had the light plant out there, and they had it back off in the corner. It was, you know, shining towards the tanks. But there was, back behind the tanks, off location, there was a nice little, uh, one of the little tree lines back in there. It's kind of a hill, and I get up, and I got my headlight, and I go up the tank, and just, I mean, this is the very very next night after I almost ran him over and I go up and I'm gauging my tank and I look up and I shine out in the field along that tree line and he's sitting there just sitting there he's down on all fours and he's just sitting there and I says, okay, I've never had one come on location. I've had them come up to location, but never really actually come on to location. They'll usually stay off a of location, it seems. Every single night, he would be there waiting for me for two months. Finally, that well slows down enough on the flowback that they start, I start coming out, I'd get one load, and then I'd go get a couple leases. There was a lease that was 10 miles back to the highway. You cross the highway, and then you go back down into the bottom, down to the river. And I was picking, it was a Lenormand, and I was picking that one up, and I was coming out one night. There was a big old storm, thunderstorm moving in, and they needed that picked up, and I was down in there. You could see the thunderstorm was coming in, and it was coming in pretty fast. And I start up out of the – and it's it's a long, big old hill. It's it's a good mile coming up off out of that river. And it's pretty steep. Well, I'm coming up out of there, and I'm down – I'm like fourth gear. It's pretty steep, and – at that time, I see some steam pop out in front of my truck. And I look down, and I look at my temperature, and my temperature starts rising, and I smell the antifreeze, and I stop the truck. I get out, call my dispatcher, tell her what's going on. I got my headlamp on, and I'm trying to see what the damage is, you know, trying to tell her, you know, hey, uh, you know, maybe we can fix this or maybe we can or no we can't which we weren't able to fix it anyway i had to wait for the next day but i turn around and this cotton picking thing is not more than six feet from me up on top of a hill right next to the road looking down at me right in front of the truck 
that was a very, very, very eye-opening. It was like he was hunting me. He never, he never tried to do anything. He never, you know, he never charged me. It was just like, it was weird. Too bad you couldn't, instead of shining your <clears throat> ultraviolet light on him, shine your um, Weatherby 460 on him. Maybe you wouldn't have any further problems <laughs> with him. <laughs> well, I ended up quitting. I, I, I quit the next day. Um, I went and found another job. I ended up going back to that company uh, three months later, but they wouldn't take me off nights. Um, and it took them three months to get a day position open, and they called me and wanted me to come back to work for days. But I ended up quitting my job that night. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I don't know why that scared me so much because he didn't, it's not like he tried to do anything. It was just like he was, it was like everywhere that I went out there, he was there. He was there waiting for me. It was like he knew where I was going to be. Yeah, that'd be a pretty creepy feeling. Well, listen, Carl, I guess we're going to, we're out of time. We're at a, I guess, a, a point where we can... Uh, call it a cliffhanger because we'll have to have you back because you've had other experiences and we'd like to hear them. Uh, but we appreciate you sure. coming on and talking to us about these. Sure. Very fascinating. Um, we'll, I guess Tom will set it up. Uh, we'll get you back. We'll have, uh, maybe we can do a part two show with you if that's okay. Yeah, we definitely got to do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Paul. Um, yeah, it sounds, sounds yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, just let me know. Absolutely, and much appreciated. Oh, you bet. In Bigfoot history, near Stewart, British Columbia, mid-August 1968, about dusk, 4,000 feet up an old road, two hunters saw a creature covered with short, dark hair run off erect up a hillside. I talked to one of them on the phone. He said it was more than seven feet tall and very heavily built, with a short neck, a flat nose, long arms, and wide shoulders. Welcome. Greetings are being brought to you by William Jevning are being narrated by me, Jim Sower. The Story of Mukulat Harry by Peter Byrne According to the Indians, there was once a large number of Bigfoot living on Vancouver Island, a large island, 12,408 square miles in area, off the west coast of British Columbia. The Indians knew about them, feared them, and respected them, but granted that they were harmless one of the Indians of the Nootka tribe, who lived in Nootka in 1928, claims to have been carried off by them and held captive for some time. The story, told to me by Father Anthony Terrar of Mount Angel Abbey in Oregon, is a curious one. Father Anthony, a much-loved missionary priest who traveled the west coast of Vancouver Island for many years, 
was living at Nutka at the time of the story, and he knew Mukulat Harry very well. Mukulat Harry was a trapper and something of a rarity among his fellow tribesmen. He was, according to Father Anthony, a tough, fearless man of excellent physique. In the course of his trapping, he was wont to spend long weeks in the forest alone, something that the average Indian did not do in those days. The Indians of the coast were apparently a rather timid people, and they seemed to regard the deep forest as the home and territory of the Bigfoot. When they went into the deep inland forest for any reason, they never went alone. Mukulat Harry was different from the other Indians. He went into the forest alone and feared nothing. Late one autumn, Mukulat Harry set off for the woods with his traps and camping gear. His plan was to set out a trap line and stay in the woods for several months. He headed for his favorite hunting area, the Kanuma River, at the head of Tlupana Inlet. From Nutka, he paddled his own canoe to the mouth of the Kanuma. There, he cached the canoe and headed upstream on foot. Approximately twelve miles upstream, he made his base camp, and after building himself a lean-to, started to put out his trap line. One night, while wrapped in his blankets and clad only in his underwear, he was suddenly picked up by a huge male Bigfoot and carried off into the hills. He was not carried very far, probably a distance of about two or three miles at the most. When daylight came, he was able to see that he was in a sort of camp under a high rock shelf and surrounded by some twenty Bigfoot. They were of all sexes and sizes. For some time they stood around him and stared at him. The males to the front of the curious group, females behind them and young ones to the rear. Mukulat Harry was frightened at first and his fear grew to terror when he noticed, he said, the large number of bones lying around the campsite. When he saw these, he was convinced that the Bigfoot were going to eat him. The big feet did not harm him in any way. Occasionally, one came forward and touched him, as if feeling him, and when they discovered that his skin was loose, it was in fact his woolen underwear, several came forward and pulled at it gently. While they looked at him and examined him, Mukulat Harry sat with his back to the rock wall and did not move. He was cold and hungry, but his thoughts were only on escape. Sometime in the late afternoon, curiosity on the part of the big feet seemed to slacken, and with most of the big feet out of camp, probably food gathering, he thought, there came the opportunity that he needed. He leapt to his feet and ran for his life, never looking back. He ran downhill toward where he guessed the river to be, and sure enough, he soon came to his campsite. In what must have been blind panic, he bypassed his camp and ran for twelve miles to where his canoe was cached at the mouth of the Kanuma. Father Anthony describes the story of Mukulat Harry's arrival at Nootka as follows. It was probably three in the morning. He and his brother Benedictines were asleep, and the village was quiet. 
Suddenly there was a series of wild cries from the waters of the inlet. Lights were lit, and he and others hurried down to the water's edge. There, nearly frozen and exhausted in his canoe, lay Mukulatere. He was barefoot and clad only in his wet and torn underwear, and he had paddled his canoe through the winter night forty-five miles from the mouth of the Kanuma River. Father Anthony and his companions carried the almost lifeless form up from the water's edge. It took three weeks to nurse Mukulat Harry back to sanity and good health. Father Anthony, who took him into his own care, did the nursing, and he told me, Peter Byrne, that during the course of these three weeks, Mukulat Harry's hair turned to pure white. The story of the kidnapping came out slowly. At first, Mukulat Harry would not talk to anyone. He told Father Anthony that what had happened, and later others. When he was fully recovered to health, he was asked when he planned to go back to collect his belongings. The camp equipment, his pots, his pans, his trapline, and above all, his rifle, and the lean-to on the Kanuma. In 1928, a trapline and all of its pieces must have been worth a great deal to an island Indian. A rifle alone would be regarded as a highly prized possession, but Mukulat Harry never went back to the Kanuma. Not only did he never return there, according to Father Anthony, he never left the settlement at Nutka, never went in the woods again for the rest of his life. He preferred to lose all of his valuables and property, hard-won possessions, rather than risk another encounter with the Bigfoot. Late in 1972, I had occasion to visit Vancouver Island. I was on a routine investigating trip, and when I found myself at Nanimo, not too far by road from the west coast and the scene of Mukulat Harry's adventure, I drove there. I stopped in Gold River and obtained from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police some maps and instructions on how to get to the Kanuma River area. Nowadays, there is a logging road that runs all the way down to the mouth of the river. And one Sunday morning, with the logging trucks out of the way, I drove there and made camp on the Kanuma. I spent several days there, walking the riverbed and exploring I tried to make a rough determination of where Mukulat Harry might have had his lean-to, and I found a place that offered a good campsite, twelve miles from the mouth of the river on the edge of a series of high bluffs. The salmon were running in the Kanuma while I was there, and all night long I could hear them splashing up the shallow waters of the river. In the morning, Black Bear worked their river, getting the salmon that had come ashore in the night or had become tangled in the limbs of fallen trees that lay in the water. I counted six bears in several days. The country was generally wild and deserted, and the actual mouth of the Kanuma, where it flowed into the salt waters of the inlet, was one of the most beautiful places I have ever seen. Some of the forests close to the river had been logged off, but the logging work had moved on west and while I was there, it was quiet. The days began with morning mists on the river, and then warmed to the clear crispness of perfect autumn weather. Evenings were cool and damp, and nights bright with the starlight that provided 
almost enough light to read. I found no sign of Bigfoot on the Kanuma, nor any sign of Mukulat Harry's trap line or lean-to. I hardly expected to find anything of the latter after forty-odd years. But even though Mukulat Harry was long gone, the river and the forest remained unchanged. The splashing salmon, the cold, clear water of the Kanuma, the moss-covered banks, the shallow pools in the forest that the Kanuma drained, that were the breeding places of the salmon, the river birds, the plodding bears, the deep silent waters of the inlet. All were as they must have been forty years before, when Mukulat Harry reached his canoe and made his camp there. Copyright Peter Byrne The Search for Bigfoot, 1975 the story of Mukulat Harry is an outtake from Mr. Burns' book, with his permission, 1999, Bobby Short. This is the end of the second reading. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.